Hey everybody, what's going on? Install Education back for another year. Uh, we're going to start this year off right with uh, letting you save some money. So two of our favorite uh, people are the Core360 belt and Human Locomotion, which is Dr. Thomas Schaud. So don't forget, if you use the code Gestalt for the Core360 belt, you get $5 off all belts except for the ohm track sensors. So Brett, what about what, what are some of the Mashaud's favorite, uh, some of your favorite Mashaud uh, gadgets? Well, I mean, he's got a he's got a trunk full of gadgets, but I think my my favorite one definitely would be the we I mean, we use a Topro quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, the Topro, and then I think the Varus and Valgus Post have really given people like a nice option if they're not want to take that leap into like a customized orthotic to kind of um, you know a good option for the patient, but also for, to let them kind of like you know bring the power back to the clinician to kind of decide where to post it. And so I, I think those are the two probably ones of Tom's stuff that I love, and of course his tie. I can't get enough of his of his human locomotion. I mean the book is still to this day pure insanity. So. Beautiful. Yeah. Don't forget to use the code Gestalt on both those, the Core 360 belt and then also Human Locomotion links are in all of our podcasts. And we hope you guys like today's episode. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Excel Education Show. Uh, if you uh, guys are on social media, I know that you're going to recognize our next host. I've, I've been following you a ton. You've been putting out some just incredible content. Uh, for those who don't know, Sean Drake, uh, you're, you've been basically uh, associated with OnBase UTPI. Uh, anything uh, SFMA related for the last, I don't even know how many years have you been associated with that? A few. A few, yeah. And so uh, you, you're literally the, one of the poster children for it and uh, someone that I think I, I respect a ton because you are utilizing it in a way uh, and promoting it in a way that it makes a lot of sense, I think. And so I think that's something I've always taken away from your your social media and, and just hearing stories about you. I know you and Brett have shared many stages. Brett talks so highly about you as a presenter. And so I'm, I'm really excited to kind of ask you some questions about that too. But uh, maybe, uh, Brett, what, when did you first kind of run into to Sean? When, when I don't know it? when we have officially cross paths i mean it was uh definitely maybe through the professional baseball chiropractic i think i think that's exactly when it was uh sarasota 20 i would say 2017 yeah 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 so uh well i definitely hit her to sean so it was good at that point to kind of touch base and uh so what got you involved with greg so i know greg's been a you know an ally a mentor whatever a colleague whatever you want to call it so what was it that with Greg that you had, uh, you know, originally were attracted to him and what was the, you know, what, what's the current relationship? What are you guys doing right now? Yeah. I mean, um, if, if anybody doesn't know Greg Rose, I think that you're living in a hole, right? Um, They do. (laughs) But I, the thing that really caught my eye with, uh, Dr. Rose originally was, um, after I started the sports performance Institute at life West, I kind of wanted to change the culture on the chiropractic campus. And I said, look, we've got to bring in some education. That's not traditional, just let's go ahead and adjust, but let's look at a functional side of the human body and uh, working with the rugby team and working with a bunch of different athletes in the Bay. Um, I really started looking at the SFMA and I had taken the functional movement screen. I had looked at TPI. Um, and you know, he's always talking about, Hey, if you're a practitioner, take SFMA. And I'm like, okay, it's just another course. It's just another course. Right. And, um, so I, I called down to, you know, functional movement systems and I'm like, Hey, is there any way that I can speak with Dr. Rose? And Michelle Duster actually picked the phone and she's like, um, sure, you know, I'll find a way to make it happen. Greg's really good about this. He's just unbelievable how he manages his time. Um, so next thing I know, I've got a phone call with Greg the next day. 
Uh, he's like, well, I'm actually going to be in Chicago um, this weekend. I'm, I'm doing a course there for one of the colleges. I'm like, ironically, I'm going to be in Chicago this weekend. Can I come meet you? Uh, so literally, like, I show up. It's Jimmy Yuan, Michelle Desser, um, Anthony Batiste. It's like the whole SFMA crew because right. basically like teaching, right? Um, so I pull up to this pizza place. We start meeting, um, and we're out in the parking lot. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, the biggest thing that I would love to see out of every sports practice or practitioner is to get away from the medical side, get away from the pain side. Now I know that's something that we're good at, but to understand the athlete, understand sports specificity. And he's like, tell me more. And I was like, well, you know, I'm working with rugby right now. I've got track and field. I've got all these different athletes. Um, I'd like to make assessments for that. And he came back to me and said, what other sports would you want to work with? And I started bringing up baseball and softball and, and tennis and this is back in 2015. And he's like, what if I told you I'm in the process of doing that? Would you be willing to move down to San Diego and help me create this? Um, so, and you were still a student at this time. No, no, no. I was, I had started the Institute up at life West and, um, I said, I'm in, uh, you know, let's do this. And so about a year goes by and he calls me one day and he's like, all right, I'm ready. And I said, cool. So I put my, my notice into life West. I said, I'm going to move down to TPI and, and help Greg and, and the team over there help develop this baseball side and tennis. And so, um, it was, a, it was just like a literally this whirlwind of roller coaster from that point forward. So ton of time in the lab. Next thing you know, we're partnered with the USPTA for racket fit, um, on base, you kind of takes off and then there we go where they went. Uh, before we get more into, I mean, what is Greg Rose's gold medal? Like what is, you've been around him yeah. probably more than anybody else. So w- what is it to where he's been able to connect so well in all these different, uh, areas or arenas? I think number one is he's probably one of the greatest humans, um, that we have on this planet when it comes to what we do. Um, he's humble and he's one of the smartest people about putting the smartest people around him. He'll never say that he knows how to do something if he doesn't know how to do it. And so what he does is instead he goes, I'm going to go find the best people in there. And then he extracts the information. And, and that's really what his specialty has been. And that he's taught me is like, look, like put the best people around you. Um, and you will come up with the best system, best community and best results. Yeah. So, uh, so you originally started with TPI or no, or that wasn't no, I, no, it was all talking about the certification process side of it. Just, no, as far as like the teaching and the yeah. So, um, well, with Greg, that's kind of I got started on the uh, on base U and racket fit side. Um, TPI, we've got some phenomenal instructors already from the medical and, and fitness and coaching side. Um, but then the on base U starts side it up, and we put a team together around that. And Don Slot um, and Steve Johnson were the two people that really um, you know got behind it and said, "Hey, this is what you know they." They were the founders on the pitching side and on the hitting side. Um, and then, I mean, if you look at our advisory board list, it was unreal being, just to be in the room and right. listen oh, to uh, the best of the best. And then, you know, ironically, um, when they started TPI, they went to the, cons- you know, the, the coaches medical and fitness first. And then it kind of grew in to the like professional side um, of working with like, you know, obviously titleists, but then, you know, professional athletes. In baseball, we kind of fell into it. Um, you know, we went and did a um, kind of a mock trial. We went and presented to the Mariners. Um, Andy from the Mariners brought us up, and we went through all their players. Um, and then next thing I know, you know, we're we're you know teaching the Dodgers. Next thing you know, we're over at Cleveland. Um, and so it was a trickle down effect from there. Instead of going, you know, usually from the medical fitness coaching side, um, we got a chance to present to a, a ton of different professional teams, and then we had our seminar. And then we launched, um, 
And, you know, a year and a half later, COVID hit. So we'll talk about that here in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So what's the difference between like TPI and on base you? I mean, is it, does it look different? Is it, there's a lot of similarities? The philosophies what? are always going to be the same with any of the education that we do. Um, it doesn't matter how you move. There's an infinite number of ways to move, but there's one efficient way for your athlete to move. And that's based on what they can physically do. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, it's the body sport connection, right? So in golf, it's the body swing connection. So how can I teach or how can TPI teach a medical fitness or coach to number one, create a common language around the sport. Number two, understand the characteristics that might affect that athlete for efficiency. And then number three, how can you create an expert within that field? Um, so in all the rotational sports and, you know, courses that you take with, uh, TPI on base, you racket fit other sports that they're going to be launching here. You're going to have your five main core, your pelvic tilt, pelvic, you know, rotation, internal rotation, you know, toe tap test or lower quarter in the lower body. You can have your 90, 90 in the arm. You're going to have some type of like thoracic rotation and cervical. So those are always going to be your core. And then if you really look at the sport specificity, now you break into different screens. So if you're in our pitching course, you're going to look at the lunge extension test. So you're going to get somebody to do their stride, turn, arm flexion, spine extension. So that's one of our main key points of looking at a pitcher. If they, if they can't get their shoulders past that knee, that's a major problem. Mm. Um, if you go into our tennis, for instance, you know, we've got our wall squat test. So it's a different squat test than a normal, you know, overhead or deep squat. Um, they're standing against the wall. They've got their hands here. And again, these, these original screens are made for coaches to find physical limitations to work with our, you know, our profession so we can clean them up. Um, and so the wall squat test tells us, okay, well maybe they, if they're trying to get into a serve, well, they can't physically do that. That's going to be a problem. Now they're going to, you know, have a late ball toss or they're going to have some type of issue. So from a practitioner standpoint, that gives me credibility in my community. Number one, speak the language, but now I've also got that credibility of being associated with the USPTA. Um, and that's a big deal because a lot of the pros are USPTA or PTR, USTA, um, here in the United States. And so from a practitioner standpoint, that opens the door for me to go talk to those professionals. Yeah. Wow. Are you a tennis player yourself, Sean? Um, I, I can have some fun on the tennis court. <laughs> and yeah. So, uh, so then what are you doing? All I mean, I know about the baseball stuff mm-hmm. with all makes you, what exactly does the tennis, does the tennis yeah. racket fit look like? So our tennis side, um, ground strokes will be the next one that we launch. Um, we did serve first, uh, cause serve is, is one of the most important aspects of the game. And Jeff Salzenstein is one of our instructors for that. And Mark Kovacs, um, who's out of Atlanta, one of the best sports scientists, we should get him on your podcast actually, um, as well as Jeff. But from a, um, you know, a sports setting, we started with the serve because we felt that was one of the most complicated movements. Um, and through all the research, it was, it turned out to be one of our, our, our best courses when it comes to tennis. Um, now, you know, if you look at tennis as a whole, obviously you've got pickleball growing oh, rapid gosh, right yes. now, right? Um, and you've got, and if you look at the traditional racket sport, I always tell people, I'm like, don't take a broken body from tennis to pickleball because now it becomes cripple ball. Yeah, and exactly right. you know, you and what people don't realize about pickleball is that That's me. they'll, they'll go pay, play three hours at a time oh, and I'm like, yeah. and they're addicted. Right. But it's, it's literally 300% more pressure and like force on the body than in tennis because it's high deceleration. They're constantly bent over the kitchen, mm. right? Um, so I always say like screening pickleball players is, is a big deal. Um, working with the mind of a pickleball player is another thing. <laughs> what are you know? You know, in baseball we have Tommy John, and all these sports kind of have their their injuries. What do you what are you finding in tennis? Obviously, there's shoulder problems, but I mean, like, what are the things that 
you know, you're treating with a tennis athlete. I think one of the things that you brought up, uh, even in the swimmers, the spondy and the butterfly, you mm-hmm. know, um, I think in our younger population, a lot of spondies overuse, um, a lot of growth plate injuries in our, in our uh, younger athletes, um, in the older athletes, obviously we've got the, you know, common upper extremity issues. You got elbow, um, you've got neck, you've got lower back. And the reason being is that just like with any of our rotational sports, I'm so stoked. I finally got to take your course. Cause I'm taking this to practice tomorrow with a couple guys. Um, but 90% of upper body problems are lower body issues. And so you look at all these athletes and number one, tennis players, they just go and hit millions and millions of balls. They don't ever think about randomization. They just want to go, just go pound balls. Right. And your average coach, right. And your, and your average coach just feeds them balls and they just hit in the same position. And then they wonder, okay, well, why am I not getting better? And they don't. And a lot of times like in golf, like you're not going to be a great golf coach like Boyd Summerhays right now. I get to work with him, you know, pretty closely and, and his daughter. And, um, he's phenomenal because he looks at the body. Right. And, and I work with coaches now where I'm like, look, if you're at least not having the conversation about the body of the athlete to see what they can physically do, I'm probably not going to work with you. Um, because we're, we're not going to be agreement green on, on philosophy. Um, so I think when it comes down to it is just getting the coaches to have to think differently. Um, because at the end of the day, that's what, changes the performance on on the court right and i know you work with a lot of uh professional high-level athletes if you were looking at a pie chart how does that break down as far as the different sports of athletes that you're working with yeah so right now um i i think i have the mom athlete in my clinic now i fell back into you know <laughs> women um pediatric and, and maternity because orange theory um, injuries well no actually it's the opposite for me it, it was kind of unique because you know, I didn't plan to open up a clinic again. That was that was not the goal, right? COVID hit. I, I moved to here to Scottsdale to learn how to skydive and met a girl, fell in love. And she wasn't moving to Florida, wasn't moving to San Diego. And so um, Greg kind of just kicked me in the butt and he's like, dude, you need to open a clinic. So we opened this clinic here in Scottsdale. Well, we opened up in COVID, in October of COVID. Huh. So like it was crazy. Like we had a table, everyone's with masks and like, it was like a prohibition clinic because guys weren't supposed to be seen outside of the facilities. And a lot of pro athletes were like, they were like, we weren't going anywhere. And I'm like, well, my, my door's open. It's a don't ask, don't tell, don't kind of like say anything. But if you've got a guy, we'll, speak easy. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, it really was. It was a prohibition. Speaking it was like door. knock three times, you know, say the password. Um, so we, uh, so if you had to look at my clinic in, in our, in our system right now, I'd probably say, 50% is baseball. Um, I'd probably say like 20% is probably golf. Um, a good 20% is pregnant moms. And because a lot of my guys ended up getting their wives pregnant during that time. So they're like, Hey, would you mind like seeing Classic. my wife? And yep. I'm like, actually I had a pediatric clinic back when I was, you know, first starting. So yeah. So, and now all of a sudden they told all their friends. So we've got a, a call it like, you know, you're growing a kettlebell, you're, you're birthing a kettlebell and then you have to like carry a kettlebell. Right. So that's I, pretty good. That's, yeah. that's a good little tech. Yeah. Line. So I, I have this whole program that I teach these women. I'm like, look, like you're already athletic, but you don't realize you're grown. Like we got to make sure you can move like an athletic mom. And then while you're, you know, once you have the baby, now I got to teach you how to re be athletic because this baby's only getting bigger. Right. Um, so how do you reinstate that? And that's why that, you know, inner abdominal pressure is gonna be really fun to play with. And I'd say the rest is probably like a mix between, um, junior developing athletes and your weekend warriors. Yeah. And I mean, you would have had your choice of any city in the United States to kind of, uh, put up your tent. 
uh, why do you like Phoenix? I mean, Phoenix to me, it seems like a perfect fit because you got all the baseball here, a lot of golf here. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you're tempted by Florida or Las Vegas yeah. or, you know. So what's so good about Phoenix, do you think? Um, <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me about Phoenix now, uh, if you'd asked me this, maybe like five months ago, it'd been a different answer. Um, but right now, I I get super depressed when there's no sun. So I love that we have sun all year long. Plenty of sun here. Yeah. Everybody is like, you know, I hate the hundred and something degrees. I'm the crazy guy that's out on Camelback at 118 degrees. That's how I would be. Um, Same, yeah. But what I do love about Phoenix is that um, we're a melting pot for some of the most amazing um, people that want to be active, whether they're from Canada and they're coming down here for the winter. Um, everyone that moves here and is trying to like get away from the cold are active people. Yeah, that's right. true. And so, you know, I, like when I was in practice in Mississippi and Atlanta, you got a lot of people that were sedentary. They didn't really have like goals, right? They were just trying to deal with day-to-day stuff. Here, people are like, man, I want longevity in life. And so you get a different quality of patient. Again, it's probably what I attract, but you really do get a different quality of patient. You've got every sport here. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, we have one of the most... I had no idea until I really... I'm, I'm falling into the hockey world right now pretty heavy. And we have more hockey players here than I've, I've had anywhere that I've That's heard. what I've heard, yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a testament to the Coyotes and their Coyote Development Program and, and all the people that support hockey around here because we've got like four ice rings. And they're booked up to like 2 a.m. In, in the yeah. morning. I'm like, who has their kids? The men's league are playing at 3 o'clock uh, in the Yeah, morning. and they're drinking beer at the same time. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's... Phoenix is incredible. You got an international airport. We can pretty much get to anywhere like within one flight. Um, sometimes you're going to connect. Uh, and more importantly, like if I want to go surf, I'm looking at the surf schedule. I can hop on a you know 5 a.m. flight, go hit some waves, be back, see patients in the afternoon. Um, if I want to get down to Mexico, it's three and a half hours away. Uh, and not only that, but like a lot of seminars come here, right? Yeah. So, you know, we don't get to see each other very often, but when we do, it's, it's super amazing. So I get to see my best friends. Like we may not, we're all on the circuit. So when they're in town, you catch up for coffee, you hang out, you get to see, you know, their families. Um, so it's a really cool thing. What do you think your long-term play is? I mean, you could, I mean, I feel like you can go two different ways. You can go kind of small, all cash, one room, literally run it like a Kool-Aid stand, or you can go all in big performance center, the whole thing. Uh, What's Sean Drake? So what's your, let's do this five-year plan, 10-year plan, 20-year plan. So I think the five-year plan right now is um, I don't think we'll ever have a massive facility. Um, I think overhead kind of takes you away from your purpose sometimes and it distracts you. There's plenty of people in this area that I collaborate with that have amazing facilities. And if I want to send for SNC, we're going to do that. Um, I do think that, you know, we'll continue to be the best when it comes to looking at efficiency and being a lab that people send us to, to assess their athletes. Um, obviously we're going to grow into a bigger space. Uh, I, I think that we're going to be, uh, a, f- a company based on like, so we have the athlete chiropractic side that I started and then we have athlete empowered that's launching this year. And what athlete empowered is, is more of a, um, a growth program and events where we are going to help athletes get assessed screen and, and programming. Um, so, you know, I'll be talking to you about that and other people. Um, uh, but we've worked with, you know, X10, which is a developmental program, a financial program that supports athletes getting drafted to help take their stress away. So they fund them. And then, you know, as they sign, they get money back. Um, working with a bunch of the different agents and agencies, uh, you know, we're, we're be, we're a trusted source to give them our real opinion. So let's say a guy has an issue. 
we fly them in, we get a second opinion. We've got our docs that we trust. We get them over to them. Um, and then we help them create a story about empowering them beyond the sport. That's cool. Yeah. So how are you guys using tech? I, well, let me just ask you this. What is the technology? Let's talk about baseball for a second that you think actually matters. Obviously we're inundated with so yeah. much data, too much data. So what do you, what at on base you, what do you guys think that the data that, that really actually matters? Well, I think it comes down to what does the coach want? And this is the one thing Greg taught me really, really, really well is that we have all the data guys that are trying to look at the data and tell the coach what to do versus instead what should happen is the coach should look at the athlete and be like, I want him to do this. Can he do it? So that being said, we can, we can get force play data. We can do, um, you know, optical and, and electromagnetic, um, sequencing with AMM systems and we can do edutronic and we can do, you know, all these different like things that grab data, but what is that coach trying to get them to do? So for me, I think let's talk about this from two different perspectives. Like from a coaching perspective, every coach should have some system to check efficiency in their athlete. So what do I mean by that? Like you should have a K vest to see, to see if your athlete is actually sequencing. That's a huge, huge deal. Number two, the technology to just be able to physically screen their athlete with their own eyes and be like, okay, this is good or this is bad. Right. That's simple. You don't need a lot. Right. And then from there, I think, you know, once you have the money, Rapsodo um, and TrackMan are two amazing, you know, systems. If you're looking at data for tracking efficiency, mm. if you're looking at spin, if you're looking at like, you know, different um, numerical numbers, we can tell a lot on that. Right. Um, from the practitioner standpoint, you know, I think uh, you got to give it to, you know, a lot of the different groups like Whoop, Biostrap, Garmin. Um, you know, a lot of these different, you know, groups that are looking at the data for recovery or looking at HRV and looking at stress. Um, I think they get misconstructed a lot and I think guys get, you know, over into it and it kind of affects things. But I think from a data standpoint, from a practitioner, we can really look at that data and actually help a lot of people. Um, I like Proteus. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to play with Proteus at all. A little bit. Yeah. It looks, um, looks really promising, honestly. I freaking love it. And like, it's been really pushed to the strength conditioning world. I love it for the, the, the medical side. Number one, I can assess them. We can see their 3D pattern. Now we can match it to our assessment and our physical screen. And then we can train that neuromechanics every single time that they're in. So if I'm working on a physical limitation, I can go train them in 3D resisted motion completely. And, it's, and it populates an entire report. So if we're looking at symmetry, we're looking at output, we're looking at force. I think Proteus is, is a no-brainer. Um, I think on the other side too, like, you know, we had a, a TPI, we had Kangatech. So if you really want to get really specific into muscle strength and everything else, um, looking at like some of the other companies that are doing that. Um, and then I think beyond that, like, I think we're getting too much data. Um, we don't know what to do with it. And I, and, and I think being, being more simple and saying, okay, these are, let's chase the numbers. Let's look at like the timeline and the graph. Is it going well? Awesome. Are we starting to decline? Well, why? And are we matching that back? Is our, is our medical talking to our strength conditioning? Is our strength conditioning talking to coaches and our coaches talking to medical and vice versa? Mm -hmm. Do we really have that team approach? Because if we don't, it doesn't matter what data we have. Right. right. Uh, what about your public speaking career? You kind of, uh, uh, you, I mean, obviously you're a very good public speaker. Did you get trained in public speaking or you just kind of figured it out on your own or how um, did that all take place? Well, I think one of the things is my, uh, 
you know, I, I grew up in military kid. I went to 13 schools in 12 years and my dad was special forces. My mom was supply. Um, my dad threw me in like in the water, at, like three years old and I figured out how to swim. Um, and I think that metaphor has like been my entire life. And my dad was an excellent, you know, leader and speaker and, um, just being able to watch him speak throughout my life and then, you know, being involved in leadership groups. Uh, it's one of those things that I think, you know, people, I'll put it this way. I don't public speak to public speak. I public speak because I have a person, a purpose and passion. Mm. And I think if anybody has a purpose and passion, they can get on a stage. Um, and whatever's in your heart is going to come out correct. And now of course we can, we can definitely, you know, do speaker schools and, um, you know, TPI offers t- like Greg, one of the best public speakers in the world. Yeah, he is good. Like you want to get critique, take yeah. the, take one of his speaker courses. Um, what's but, his gold medal in public speaking? Do you think, uh, simplicity, he is a freaking master at simplifying things and being able to articulate it to a point where it just comes across the correct way. Does not overcomplicate anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you seem to be kind of a storyteller. Is that kind of your... Um, yeah. I, well, it's one of those things where like, if you can't tell your story you can't connect. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes like, you know, people that get up and we we're, all of us are on the circuit and like, you know, the speaker that's just like literally re- rehearsed their, you know, slides and they only, and they know their numbers and they know this, right. but then like, but what's the substance behind it? Right. Like what's the why you brought up Simon Sinek, right. In in the seminar yesterday and like, what's your why? And at the end of the day, um, if you follow my life, like I work hard, but I play harder like same right and and, and so i think the thing is is that we have to push we have to push the boundaries of ourselves or we'll never push the boundaries of human performance right who it can be outside of our profession like who influences you in the public speaking world let let me say this besides greg who do you listen to and you're like yeah that that's pretty good like and it can be outside of chiropractic and what we do um I think one of the first people that I, I really loved, um, so a lot of people don't know this about me. I, I actually, I was in politics for a while and Carl Rove was one of the people that I used to listen really? to heavily. Wow. Um, and I, you know, everybody during his term, like, um, George Bush obviously was the president, but Carl Rove ran the country. Like, right. I mean, if you really look at it, right. Yeah. Like the way, the way he constructs his, his talks and, New Gingrich and like I can go down the list of like Congressman Goss mentors of mine and you know I interned with you know Jeff Kotkamp who was a representative ended up becoming a lieutenant governor of Florida um, worked Charlie Chris campaign ended up working for the Republican Party of Florida ended up working you know with Ken Melman um, and that was right after college and so you know I was Senate you know President Pro Temp at Florida State during my time there wow. and so. It, I was blessed to be around some of the best people when it came to creating like law and creating like a, like going after what they wanted. Um, and then I got involved in lobbying and, and I got to see how, you know, you really communicate and, and like communication 90% of the time is not saying a word, just listening. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, the, feel, do you feel like that early communication with those higher level people influence now you're speaking today? I mean, did you learn lessons, I guess, uh, at a, at a more conversational level that has then influenced your, your public speaking, put it that way. I would, I would say so for sure. And, and I think it was, you know, those things of being humbled, like my dad, um, when I was in high school, you know, I would have to write my speeches out and he would make me literally, he would go through and he would, 
he'd be like, all right, you know, so go ahead and say it. And if I said, uh, or this, I'd have to get down and do pushups or I'd have to, you know, um, do flutter kicks in the pool. And I, I'd literally be in my pool doing flutter kicks. And if a water, um, while I'm actually like doing my, my speech or my talk, and if a drop didn't hit my forehead, I had to start over. Um, and so it was one of those things that, you know, you were just around good people and same thing in the profession. Like, let's take public speaking out of this. Um, I am where I am because of the people who I surrounded myself with and I asked questions and I showed up and like, if you want something, ask for it. Yeah. I mean, showing up is such an important part of yeah. what you're talking about right now. Cause the reality of it is so many people will say that, but when it comes down to it, they actually won't do that. Well, I think that's ultimately, I think what caught Greg's eye, um, and gave me a chance and believed in me is I saw him in Chicago. I flew back to San Francisco that next that weekend. Right. And then he's like, Hey, by the way, there's an SFMA in LA next week. You want to come? I canceled everything in my, and I had like, you know, my, um, now X was flying out to San Francisco and I called her. I'm like, Hey, like I'm going to LA, like you're awesome, but I've, I've got to go to this thing. So I literally flew to LA the next weekend, um, sat through the SFMA course, mind blown, um, ended up hitting Disney world that night with them. And it was like, my life was changed. Yeah. So the thing is, is that everyone always says when one door opens, another one or one door closes, another one opens. I tell people all the time, there's doors that are right there waiting to be kicked in. You're just unwilling to make the effort. What void do you think SFMA is filling for like the current young chiropractor? And you know, cause you're, we always are, we're a big proponent of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not exactly doing it exactly the way I'm sure it's being taught, but we're, we definitely push people to their, to their courses. So what do you think, what void is that? Is that filling for the average chiropractic student? Who's confidence? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it, right? Confidence like, to look confidence, globally, not to just to know what you're doing, <clears throat> and like, and not and not have this like guessing game. It's one of those things where what blew me away was like, okay, really breaking out joint versus tissue, understanding if this is a motor control problem or brain, and so instead of always thinking joint, 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 it made me now say, okay, wow, this is a pattern problem, or I am not very good at soft tissue. I've got to take some soft tissue classes, right? Um, or I've got to find somebody that's really good at soft tissue in my local area and just right. be really good at what I was doing at the time. Um, but I think that it gives, and not only that, I think it opens up our um, chiropractic students to a new population of referrals. Because now um, in the SFMA model, those FMS you know, strength conditioning coaches will refer over to them because they're in that system. And not only that, it breaks the barrier between the PT and chiropractor because now they can speak the same language. Right. And it's, it's not this like battleground. And Jeff, Jeff Maitland in his, actually in his textbook, he says this, he says, systems are so good, but at some point in your career, systems can be limiting also. Do you think like, have you found that to be true to where like you now are, you know, you've earned the right to take a shortcut. So you're not doing it exactly by the book or are you that much a homer for it that you're going to stay true to the system and and do run the, the whole playbook basically yeah exactly so i'm not a homer to anything i mean that's why i was at dns this weekend right right like if and greg always says this if you live in a bubble you die in a bubble and nobody goes to more seminars than him like i mean he's a seminar junkie and, and i i think that we're close second probably um but i am not the smartest guy ever on stage and you know this neurokinetics first time i heard about that was yesterday right like now i want to take a look at that um, the one thing that I will say is I put everybody through a top tier. 
I think that is a very, very important thing for me. And then from there, I use our on-base U and TPI um, sports-specific assessments because number one, it creates that trust with that athlete because now I'm, I've got put a bat in their hand or I put a golf club in their hand or on their shoulders. Um, and then from there, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a breakout of whatever that dysfunctional no pattern is. But then from that point forward, I'm, I'm constantly assessing from very different strategic roles. Right. Uh, what is the, what, I mean, what's Greg's and your, I mean, what's the future of all, I mean, where is this train going? Yeah. So I'm really, I'm, I'm really stoked for that, um, organization there. Uh, if, if you look at, you know, if you've ever been in TPI, it, it's beautiful, right? It's an oceanside, 36 acres. Um, they actually are breaking ground on a $15 million facility there. And it's going to have batting cages, pitching mounds, force plates. Um, obviously, we're going to have our golf side. Um, you know, it's going to have a full, you know, entire assessment lab. And, you know, it's it's going to be, in my opinion, probably the number one sports science center in the world. Wow. That is insane. Yeah. And if you, I mean, shoot, you got Greg's brain there and you've got all the advisors, right? <laughs> so one of the cool things about TPI is the educational aspect, right? And now they're going to have the ability for more people to come there and really like learn on site and actually be able to like see the system at play. It's cool. Um, kind of a campus feel mm-hmm. to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm stoked on that. Um, obviously like I'll always be a huge fan. Uh, you know, I've got the clinic and, and other things going, but you know, as this evolves, you know, I'm, I'm sure that I'll always be involved. And, you know, we have a lot of people that, you know, are super involved with us already. They're, we're moving up into leadership roles and, and coaching and, um, helping to teach. And so we just launched our fast pitch softball, um, which you brought Monica Abbott up yesterday. Right. Yeah. So, um, the right before COVID hit, we were working with USA softball. So we brought all the girls out. We got them. We were going to get them ready for Tokyo. So we did all their assessments and, um, I'll share, I'll have to get the data from Greg for you to put in your DNS slide. Um, but Monica has one of the fastest RPMs off of the wrist than anyone we've ever seen. Oh, I believe that. And I mean, and then she came out and we did a bunch of other stuff with her, but talk about just a phenomenal human being and just like a crazy athlete beast right? like yeah i mean i mean beast, it, it yeah. blew, blew my mind when you really start to look at it and then obviously COVID hit so we were so what's funny is is during COVID, i'd be i go do like two or three skydives i'd come down and like the drop zone had really crappy um wi-fi but i'd get on and i'd be on with usa and ken and everybody and we're going through the data with the girls and i'd be like they're like your hair's all messed up i'm like yeah i just had jumped out of an airplane <laughs> um and so what, Subtle, what's what's fun is that we legitimately um, just launched that course that we did with all these girls to get the data. Um, and like, you know, we have so many amazing advisors on the softball side and, you know, Kelly from UCLA, uh, was instrumental in that. Cause we got to go through all the UCLA girls and, and, you know, really test out a lot of this cause Don slot was one of their coaches. Um, and you know, it's just, what's the most amazing thing to me is that when you're in education, it's not about you. It's about changing communities. And if you can get somebody to change their mindset and take one thing back to their practice that changes one person's life, that's why that's why I do it. I mean, is the is the goal to be touching all sports? I mean, what what do you think the long term goal as far as the performance um, center? I mean, what is I think that would be a question for Greg. I think that, you know, being hyper focused in what we're in right now is the priority goal. Um, obviously like he gets pitched, you know, so many, you know, different things uh, you know, they've got a soccer app they launched, um, with Mexico and it's a, it's a developmental app and it's pretty amazing because, you know, it, if we look at talent identification, right? Like in the U S like, you know, if we're looking at our young kids, um, you know, coaches always keep the kids that are the best. 
and that are the best at the time. And so the other kids get frustrated and they fall off. Well, we got biological and chronological age. Well, these kids just haven't developed, right? Sure. But now they're frustrated, so they're out of the sport. Um, what what they did that I thought super creative is that they actually created an app that said, just don't suck. So it says, mm. look, do these basic things. And so it keeps them in. And what's cool is that the Mexican Federation um, for soccer is able to track these kids. And so now they're able to see who's developing. And so like, let's say I wanted to challenge you, like I'm a kid, I only have, you know, two tables and a ball. Well, it gives me five things to do. You do the same thing and now we can compete. And so some like your coach, if you want to get moved up in ranks and it gamifies and everything else, but you've got a bunch of kids that are now excited about playing that are developing and it's not talent identification, it's developmental. So if Mexico beats USA in uh, World Cup in, let's say, 10 years, we basically have to blame you guys. That's uh, what it sounds like. I mean, you can, you, you can congratulate. <laughs> Working for the enemy? I, 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 I mean, right, come right. on. I don't know, for sure. <laughs> um, but those, Way to be those in are, America, bro. Yeah, right? But I mean, those are some of the things that, you know, that yeah, you don't cool. see that are happening around the world um, that people are adopting, and it's because of what they've been able to do. I've actually always had a lot of respect for you, too. When you hear you speak, you're you're an advocate for chiropractic. You know, mm-hmm. We have certain people, and I, and I get the argument. It's like, well, we should all be the same. But I can kind of tell, like, when you speak, like, you're a lot of times speaking to the chiropractors, chiropractor. Why is that? Chiropractic saved my life. Um, legitimately, I, uh, I was involved in a, a really severe car accident. Um, well, first I fell asleep my freshman year going 90 miles an hour in the back of a gas tanker. It was a um, politician. He's yeah, getting, this, I had a crazy life. Cheated I'm death. Still I mean, a, I cheated, I've cheated death more than, more than 10 <laughs> times. Probably. Um, two He's years not later, a cat, so two years later, I'm driving on the same interstate and a semi where the turnpike is and 75 came across two lanes and hit my car. And, you know, I, I was running track. I had all these other, I had an awesome opportunity within um, potential ROTC. And my truck flipped three times, hit a tree, was wrapped around it 15 feet in the air. Um, basically, was like ejected out of it. It was a bad situation. Um, got out, don't remember anything, ended up in the hospital in Leesburg. And two weeks later, I developed ulcerative colitis. And, um, you know, I had frozen shoulder. I had all these other problems going on. So six months down the road, I'm on Azacol, Prenazone, Zoloft, Xanax. You know, I can't run without having to run to the restroom like every 10 minutes. I couldn't even like go to class. I was miserable. Um, and, you know, so I, I finally get through college. I moved down to Tampa. I'm still dealing with all the stuff. And I meet a chiropractor and, you know, I say, can I just come see you? I'm in a lot of pain. And this guy says, sure, just come see me. And I'm like, I don't have any money right now. I'm like, there's going to be a potential lawsuit. It's a case, whatever. I'm like, could you take me on lean? He's like, no problem. Um, within six visits, I was told that I was going to potentially have surgery on my shoulder. He had me back to range of motion within six weeks. I had a first stool and I'm like, okay, there's something weird about what you're doing. Like, he's like, no, this is how the body works. And so between him and a naturopath, I got my life back. And so three months later, I, was, I wasn't taking oxycodone anymore. I wasn't taking the Zoloft. I wasn't taking the Xanax. I wasn't taking the Prenazone or the Azacol. And I called my dad and um, he was special forces and a flight surgeon. I said, I think I want to go to chiropractic school. And I was getting ready to go to law school. And he's like, you really want to do that? I'm like, no, I really want to do that. I think this, this just saved my life. And when I got into chiropractic college, you just, you see the miracles over and over and over. And then, you know, when I first got out of school, I mean, I had to adjust a subluxation based adjusting practice for the first, you know, three years of my life. Like that's all I focused on. Right. Um, but there were miracles. I think now 
we are so toxified that the adjustment just doesn't do it anymore. Like a lot of stuff is mind, a lot of stuff is body, a lot of stuff is toxification. Um, and we know a hell of a lot more now. Right. I think if BJ Palmer was alive right now, he'd be looking at all of this stuff. Right. And he'd patent it and he'd charge us for it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So like, I mean, here's the thing is like, if he was alive, we right, see you over there, Palmer, just yeah, calm down. Right? Just right? calm down. But I mean, um, when I tell people, I'm like, and, and this is what I love about you, Brett, is even this, this conference this weekend is like, you adjust. Like you're not scared to adjust. There's so many practitioners that are in the speaking world or in, in our like, you know, sports side that are scared of the adjustment. And you always talk about how powerful it is. And like just sitting and listening to the research and you and like you just bring it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you see everybody in the room kind of freaking out a little bit, right? They're like, oh my yeah. God, did he just adjust? Oh my, what's that? What's that? And <laughs> so she's the PTs, the ATCs. Right? Yeah. And, it's like, yep, and, yep, and they're yep. like, I know how to mope. I'm like, there's a difference between mobilization <laughs> and adjustment. You can hear it. Yeah. Well, you can <laughs> hear it, but then you can see the performance. Yeah, exactly. Right. You can see the change. And so I'm, I'm a huge proponent of chiropractic. Um, like I said, it saved my life and it does work. Right. You just have to have a smart practitioner that knows how to assess what they're looking at. So what do you think contemporary chiropractic looks like? I mean, what do you, yeah. where's, where's the profession, where's it going or where does it need to go? Might be a better way to say it. I think we've got to lose our ego um, in a lot of ways. And I think that if you're going to be a traditional adjuster, that's great. Mm-hmm. Build a team around you. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the best subluxation based chiropractors that I know around the country that are, that are, you know, they have high volume, like seeing a thousand people a week. They have the best people in massage therapy and PT that they collaborate with. Mm-hmm. Like they're not just staying to themselves anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Or, or they've got functional rehab inside their office or so it's, to me, it's, it's not really about where the profession's going. I think what we need to do is it's just like within the TPI model is we've got to have a team approach. We've got to work well in the sandbox. We've got to be able to play and we've got to be able to be humble and say, look, like this is, I, again, I was out of practice for five and a half, six years. Being back in practice, I've referred out more now than I ever have before because I catch things quicker. Mm. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're going here, you're going there, you're going here, you're going there. And what it's done is it's actually blown up my practice because people are like, dude, even if you only see him one time, he'll figure out what's going on. Wow. Well, I think that's a, that's kind of something that we, we preach a lot too is being the being the traffic controller, if you will, that's the chiropractor is the perfect place to do that. Great gatekeeper. Great. Great, great for triage. doesn't matter if we're in professional sports. doesn't matter if we're in private practice. doesn't matter if we have people in the VA system and hospital systems. I think that that's, that's such a good role for us because we, we talk about pattern recognition all the time, Brad. We talked about this weekend of like understanding when something is musculoskeletal or performance based and understanding when something is not. And if you can get to the point where you're making those decisions, then I think you've, you've kind of arrived. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like you, you're finally comfortable in, in that, that, that realm of medicine. We'll put it that way. How many skydiving jumps do you have? I've got over a hundred at this point. Wow. Yeah. Would you ever do that thing where they jump out of a plane without a parachute? Um, here's the thing. So, um, <laughs> that means yes. <laughs> <laughs> that means yes. Um, if I had the right team, uh, you know, I traveled with Nitro Circus for five years and I got to be around Pastrana and like a lot of our guys. And, um, and to me, you know, being in action sports as long as I have, and I still am because it's a super passion of mine. Um, Sean Schuma, who is one of the best base jumpers in the world. He's up in Twin Falls. I'll be doing my base course this year. Um, but if I had the right people and the right technology and the right everything, I would say yes. 
Right. Because I would trust the system, right? Well, let's dive into that then, all right? So you've been around these incredible uh, athletes that are doing these insane things or insane from the outside looking in. How do they how do they reconcile with uh, the thoughts of maybe something bad going wrong? How do they get themselves ready to do those types of things? How, how do you, I, I guess the reason I'm asking is we're not necessarily in those situations, but we, we somewhat are in stressful situations. You're dealing with someone that a high professional athlete that needs to get back in the field that, you know, what lessons did you learn from those, those uh, extreme sports? I think number one, um, it comes back to community. Like you, I mean, we've just, we just lost one of our, you know, really good guys, unfortunately, this last uh, week to a snowmobile accident. Um, we lost one of the best wingsuit and base jumpers in the world two days ago. Mm. Um, and it's not to say that these sports, this happens a lot, but these are accidents, right? Um, and you know, when you're in those sports, whether it's big wave surfing or it's, you know, race car driving, or it's, you know, mega ramp skateboarding, whatever it is they're being called to do that for a purpose. Mm. People are like, they're crazy. I said, no, they're not. Yeah. They're the 1%. Like anyone who can't do what somebody else is doing thinks that they're crazy. People think we're crazy. Right. Like, <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Like they were on the road, they were traveling. Yeah, like, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think the thing is, is like, um, you know, I'll take one of the guys, Tui, uh, from down in Australia. You know, Jay, he, um, I was in LA and San Diego and I get a phone call and he's like, hey, we had a really bad accident in the Wyoming um, Nitro Circus show. Can you fly up here and, and like be with him and, and kind of figure out what's going on? And the resilience that these guys have, like, you know, we see some of our athletes in baseball and golf and some and everything else, and, and these accidents break them every time. And it's weird. In my action sport athletes, when a bad thing happens, it makes them stronger. Like, Jay literally broke both wrists. Like I'm sitting here in the hospital with him and, and talking to him. And he's like, he's like already figuring out when he gets back to Australia. Okay. What do I need to do strength training with two broken wrists? So I can be back on the bike for X games coming up next year. Like the, and you know, I can, I can go down the list. Harry Bink, you know, had a really, you know, uh, nitro circus world games, you know, five years, four years ago, maybe, um, had a really bad accident, you know, hurt his femur. He's like, I'm going for it. And I'm like, go, he went and sent it. He won. Um, Sean White, you know, right before the Olympics, uh, he was down in New Zealand, had a really bad head injury. Comes back. I'm with him in due tour, and I have to clear everybody for head injury and concussion at that point because I was the medical director. And I'm sitting here with Sean, and I'm talking with him back and forth. And he's like, I've got his team and medical, and like we're all talking, and we're like, you're good to go. Doesn't perform well. Next week at Copper, um, Aspen, like goes and has a perfect score. And so it's, What's amazing about action sport athletes and the reason I still love working with them is that their why is bigger than anybody else mm. because they're just pushing themselves to the limit. They're really not competing with anybody else. Right. They're the like, how, how much bigger can I send it? And what can I do that hasn't been a world record yet or that hasn't been done? Look at our Willie. I mean, our Willie, like this kid, like when I was on tour with him, it, when he was coming up, he, take like he was a scooter kid. Right? Like everybody made fun of scooter kids. Like when action sports, you know, started getting it in there, right? He's probably he is like the Neo in the Matrix yeah. for like action sports. This kid went now he's a now he's a man, but like literally went from scooter to taking on BMX to winning BMX X games yeah. to like he can send anything. And so I guess he's like the Ted Williams of right. like ex, of, of extreme sports. But when it comes down to it, 
from a practitioner standpoint is you got to think differently when you treat them. Because mm-hmm. now you're thinking about previous injury. You're thinking about previous surgery. You're mm-hmm. thinking about scar tissue. Yeah. You're thinking about trauma response, both emotionally and physically. How can you work within those? So, yeah. I mean, we've been lucky enough. We've been around. We, we listened to Sean White not too long ago. Uh, Michael Gervais, who has worked with a bunch of the Red Bull athletes. And then my, my favorite story, and it, I try to put in all my presentations, is... Uh, uh, Free solo, uh, Alex Honnold. So the guy that he, he literally climbs mountains with no ropes. And so I just think like, it's such an interesting headspace and such an interesting stress response of the brain to be able to, to overcome those situations. And like you're talking about with your athletes, I, I just think it's such a good learning lesson for us is that our little stresses in our day probably don't matter that much, you know, like it's, it's, uh, understanding how to complement those and how to, how to deal with them. What I love about Michael Gervais message though, who's the, the guy's name who did the stratosphere jump bomb? Felix. Felix, Felix Baumgartner. Baumgartner. So he was saying that um, he's like, he was claustrophobic and, you know, he was working with him through all these like really difficult things, but he's what Michael Gervais said. I thought this was so awesome. He goes, you and I were also pushing limits throughout our day. It's a little bit different. Like it's not life or death, but um, you know, throughout our day, we're, we're pushing all kinds of limits. I mean, especially a lot of times for, you know, the present day chiropractor, you're kind of the low man on the, the totem pole. So you're being forced to push the limits of what's possible for somebody who's in a chiropractic role, which is really kind of a fun fun position because you kind of walk around the chip on your shoulder a little bit because you're used to kind of being the the low man on the totem pole. So although we're not jumping, you're jumping out of planes, we're we're not not jumping out of planes, (laughs) but you can kind of find ways in your life to kind of push limits that, you know, to kind of still get that, get the athlete athlete back that say that they can't be, or, you know, do things like that. So that's really our clinic. Like a lot of people like you're not a chiropractic clinic and that's why I created athlete empowered. Um, we use a Morosco Forge uh, cold plunge in our clinic, and I keep it at 32.9. So you go on most you know, cold plungers, they're at 38, 37, 39, up to 45. A lot of the facilities have them at 45. Um, I specifically keep ours at 32.9 for trauma and nervous system regulation. So a lot of people will want to do Wim Hof, and they'll get really, 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 really hard and fast, hard and fast. Um, but actually, Adrian from Morosco Forge uh, has created a method called the Morosco Method, and it teaches you how to calm your system down. And so you get in the water and like, I'm telling you, I have had guys this off season who have had some of the biggest breakthroughs just by nervous system regulation and then using the newbie from new fit and doing neural resets. Um, and then using PMF. So I'm a huge proponent of pulse centers PMF because I can change the frequency. And so now I can start, let's say I've got a guy in a major stress response. I can actually turn it to a grounding setting have him visualize and start breathing prior to any adjustment and tone and trigger points and tension goes down um, because I'm using energy with his body at the time. Uh, so I think modalities are a really important thing to walk towards if you know how to use them because it just benefits everything that we do with the adjustment that much more. Right. I hear Rogan talk about all the time of like the reason I th- that these high level athletes are t- putting themselves through these crazy things is because if they can get through that in training, like you're talking about through cold plunge, you can get through anything in your day or you can, you know, those adversity comes up. So continuing to put yourself in situations that are maybe a little bit resilient, y- you c- are going to have a reputation. I have a feeling the next couple of years for being resilient and uh, those types of things. And so, um, how do you daily work on your resiliency and how do you, daily work on that mental fortitude and things like that in your own world, uh, especially in, in our world. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest thing is, is 
understanding your why. I mean, it goes back to what you said with Simon Sinek. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. Um, keeping God first, staying humble and, um, having the right people around you. Like they hold me accountable. Like my team knows what our goals are. My team knows what my personal goals are and they know my skeletons in my closet. Mm. And I'm like, hold me the F accountable. (laughs) Um, and then the other side of it too is, you know, um, a a name that everybody needs to find is doc is uh, Brian Kane. Um, in his leadership podcast and he's, he's actually lives here. He works with a lot of my players. Um, but I'm, I'm going through something pretty dark right now in my life and, and he's been able to help me snap out of it. And there's a app called optimize it's by Jacko and, and like, um, by heroic, uh, you guys need to check it out. You can read a book in 20 minutes. It breaks everything down. Um, but I think when you're looking at, you know, resiliency and neuroplasticity and, and response, stoicism is a really big thing that everybody's talking about right now, right? Like how to keep emotionless, like understand that when it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's bad. You got the peaks, you got the valleys. Um, I tend to like think there's an atomic bomb going off when like the smallest thing happens sometimes in my life, but then like I can have the craziest like situation just like on the field. You know, we've had, we've had sudden cardiac arrest, um, in rugby in the past. And you know, that AT that stayed calm, like it, it's one of those things that, I think the way that I was raised, my, you know, now my, uh, my wife, ex-wife, um, has said like I was abused as a child. I'd like to say that I was just trained very well. Like yeah. my dad put me in high stress situations for a reason. I dove for golf balls. My dad had a golf ball recovery company and my middle school and high school years, I spent diving in golf ball ponds with alligators <laughs> and, you know, crocodiles and sharks and like, you know, water moccasins. And, um, <laughs> oh, and, and like I've been grabbed by a gator and like, you know, so I think it's one of those things that, you know, all of us have something that's happening to us in our life, whether it's in practice, out of practice. Um, and, you know, if you're having trouble in practice and you're like, man, like my, my home life's being affected or this is being affected, right? I don't, I don't have a balanced life. Get over being balanced mm-hmm. um, because balance doesn't exist, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, what does no, it, I agree. What does exist, and, and Greg reminded me about this over the last month. He said, Sean, he goes, you were meant to do what you do. Just do it. The right person is going to come into your life. The right people are going to come into your life, and everything's going to be a blessing. But And then my pastor last week, he actually said something to me that I thought was really, really profound. He said, you know, chase God and everything else chases you that, you know, the darkness and Satan attacks you for your purpose. Mm-hmm. So we think all these bad things happen to us, but they're happening to us to get us off of our purpose. Mm-hmm. So next time something like is, is happening to you in a stress response, stop for a minute, take a deep breath and remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing. And if it's not about you and it's truly something bigger, everything's going to be a blessing. Yeah. One thing in the, you know, people who have success, they end up figuring out how to uh, appreciate present time consciousness. Now there is a thought with people who are kind of adrenaline junkies like yourself that you're, you're adrenaline junkie because it forces you in that present moment. Yeah. Do you think that's why you've kind of gravitated toward kind of being an adrenaline junkie to where, cause, um, Eckert told that he wrote the power of now he yeah, always yeah, talks yeah. about like the human brain is wanting to either think about horrible things that have happened to you in the past that you can't change or things that might happen to you in the future that aren't going to happen to you. So his big thing was to, you know, all you have is the present moment. So do you think that you are doing all the, I mean, in my mind, like insane things, but I know they're amazing things. Does it force you into the present moment? It's, I'll say this, scuba diving and skydiving and, um, are the, were the two things in my life that I don't have my cell phone. 
when I'm, in, when I'm doing, whether I'm teaching scuba diving or I'm, I'm, I'm jumping out of a plane, because the only thing that you have to think about is one number one, when you're skydiving is saving yourself. <laughs> like, like literally like you jump out of the plane, you got a plan, but once the skydive's done, like skydiving is a very safe sport. Now we've had a friend that just had an accident, but like skydiving, if you really look at the statistics is a safe sport. Sure. As long as you follow the rules. You get gear checked. Everybody gets gear checked every time before they get on the plane, right? Let's take this into correlation of your practice or your life. In the morning, do you have a checklist? It's just like a pilot. Like, mm. okay, do I have a checklist? When I get to my clinic, do I have a checklist? Okay, I got checked. Great. Now you get in the plane. You're in the plane. Somebody usually checks you while you're in the plane. And then we always do like a, a high five to make sure because you never know if it's going to be your last moment. Then you jump out and you're like... And like, I'm going to be honest, I still get scared every time that freaking door opens. <laughs> and so the door opens and like, you look out and you're like, okay, I'm 14,000 feet in the air. Awesome. Let's send. So we send. Now you have an awesome skydive. Well, whether you're pitching, you're throwing your parachute at 5,500, 5,000, 4,000. I won't go below 4,000. Other people will. I just won't. Um, I want that extra time because I got to cut away. So now you pitch. Well, next thing you know is you look up, you make sure it's square. You know, are all of your strings right? Okay, good. Everything's good. Hit your slider. Now you pull your toggles. Now you do a canopy check. You go right. You go left. You put your brakes on. Okay, everything's good. If it's good, now you go and you fly your canopy and you land. And landing is very, it's, it's very like set. You've got, you got a right pattern or a left pattern, depending on where the wind's at. And you always follow the person below unless something just crazy happens. And so when you look at skydiving as a whole, it's a safe sport as long as you follow the rules. Things obviously happen. Same with scuba diving, but let's take it into practice. As long as you're following the rules, do you have an assessment? Do you have objective data? Are you are you checking in on that every time that you're with that patient? If you're doing that, good things are going to happen, or you're going to catch the bad thing before it happens. Mm. Standard operating procedure. I think that's that's, yeah. that's a fair thing. Wow. To tie it back into like the reason you probably got uh, interested in SFMA is that's kind of a standard operating procedure for movement. Hundred percent. So, uh, I think that's a, that's a perfect way to end it. I know, I know we've, we've talked it. We'll get in a direction. I hoped it kind of would of, of resiliency and, and you talking about, uh, some things that have, uh, have got you to where you're at right now. But, um, Brett, any last questions on assessment that you, you think, uh, we, we're missing or anything like that? I don't think so. Yeah. I think we, I, I think, I think, I, I think in the future we, we need a, a more specific talk about the, the certain assessments and stuff like that with you, Sean. Uh, I think today was a great intro into you, uh, for, for a lot of our intro listeners and, uh, a, a great intro into resiliency and some of the, the things that you've picked up along the way from, from these awesome people that you've been around. And uh, I, I'm thankful for the lessons myself. Um, I'm, I love hanging out with you guys. Um, it's an honor to be on your podcast. And yeah. I'm sure we're going to have some more fun as we go. Absolutely. Enjoy the bottle of wine. Oh, uh, we yeah. will. So, uh, one Charles theme, Krug, I know, one, theme one theme for every single episode of our podcast is some sort of crazy bottle of wine and so uh the charles Krug is i mean that's amazing well i wanted to bring you a stag's leap but on the way here like i stopped and they didn't have any i'm like really i'm like usually it's that or a bottle of camus and i was like you know what that's the best they have right now that's what we're going with dude i love that bottle good so, well enjoy that's amazing so uh sean thanks right, brother really appreciate it yeah, sure. yeah thanks Thank for your you, contribution right. to yep. the profession and, and thanks for continuing to push it forward and uh now that you're in phoenix we're gonna see a lot more. So. Let's keep going. All right, guys. Have a great day and good luck with patience.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gestalt Education Show. Uh, if you liked it, share it, subscribe to it, uh, send it to your friends, send it to someone that needs to hear this message. Uh, we really want everyone to be able to, to tune in and, and get the, the best clinical advice that they can, which uh, we're hoping that we're giving to you with these special guests. So um, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Or if you have any suggestions on upcoming uh, conversations, let us know. Uh, for a list of our upcoming courses, we're adding them all the dang time. So go to gestaltedu.com, click on courses, and they'll all be right there for you. All right, have a good day.